0: Hey, this is Robert breaking in before the uh, episode starts real quick here. This is uh, part apology, part uh, warning. Uh, we did mess up, I messed up the uh, the audio uh, on this one, and unfortunately, we normally have some in the, uh, the hopper, in the clip, ready to go. Uh, being summertime, though, we are uh, basically recording these several days before the release, so we did not have time to record another one. Uh, basically, Lee and I, our audio uh, at the beginning is going through our laptop microphone instead of the uh, the nice microphones we normally use. Uh, we figured it out and fixed Lee's a few minutes into the episode. Uh, so if you can get through that, it is better. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Lee mentioned when I told him he sounded bad, he said I sounded bad. I thought he was just talking trash. Turns out he was right, and uh, basically. Uh, Appreciate you guys listening. If you're like me and cannot stand bad audio, uh, I would skip this one. Uh, We did want to leave it, I wanted to leave this in uh, this week, uh, A, because it's either this or we just didn't publish one this week, which I certainly didn't want to do. And we, uh, towards the end, after we cover special VFR, we get into like accidental low visibility situations, short and soft field landing conversation. And uh, we actually get into how to pull airplanes out of the mud, which Scott and I have some experience with, uh, if they get stuck. So again, apologize for the bad audio. Uh, Lee's developing a podcast recording checklist, Uh, Mr. Checklist himself. So we should have this straightened out. Uh, Hopefully this never happens again. Uh, Certainly we'll have it fixed uh, for next week. Anyway, thank you for listening. Here we go. Welcome to the Far End Podcast. This week's we are covering ninety-one point one five seven special VFR weather minimums. This is um, basically we have weather minimums, which we've discussed in uh, the airspace series, Class A, Class B through uh, Class G. If you look back through our um, archives. This is if, um, in special situations, you can actually um, do operations. Uh, That are special. They are below those weather minimums and be legal. Uh, Typically, this is around larger airports where you have uh, air traffic control uh, permission to do so. And even with their permission, there are limitations, which we are going to get into uh, in this reg. I'll start out with Part A. Except as provided in Appendix D, Section 3 of this part, special VFR operations may be conducted under the weather minimums and requirements of this section. Instead of those contained in 91.115 below 10,000 feet MSL within the airspace contained by the upward extension of the lateral boundaries of the controlled airspace designated to the surface for an airport. Um, This is basically around bigger airports, sum it up, Lee.
1: It's
0: got to be a towered airport, basically. You can't willy-nilly just do this on your own, I don't think, anywhere.
1: No, yeah, I mean, it needs to be controlled airspace. So a Class G airport, which has very uh, loose, um, what do I want to say? It's not very not very restrictive, a Class G takeoff. You know, it's a mile-clear cloud, so the weather can already be very crappy just using the strict regulations. Here, under, which we'll get into, but 91-155 describes that you need th- three miles of visibility, you need to have a thousand-foot ceiling to take off, in a can, under VFR, in a controlled airspace that's your class e d c and b this gives you the ability at certain airports which we'll talk about to take off with weather less than that so it can be an uncontrolled like there doesn't need to necessarily be a tower at the field for it to still be controlled airspace as we all know class e is when the weather gets below vfr which is less than three miles that would make it ifr well this gives you some freedom to still take off under a special VFR clearance, but you do need ATC uh, to tell you, because as far as they're concerned, that's IFR. If it's less than VFR, it's IFR. Yes. That's why you need ATC, you know, kind of their, their blessing to go do it, if that makes sense. Does that yeah, sound, I mean, sense. yeah. Sound, right. How do you yeah, do it? You just, you just call them on the radio? Yeah. You'd call them on the radio or, you know, if, if um, you don't have to like file a can. flight plan or anything. No, because you're taking off VFR, you know, yeah. so get them on the phone. Because some some if if it's a Class E airport, chances are you, there's a, what's called an RCO, a remote communications outlet, on the field. If they don't have a tower, they have an RCO there, remote communications outlet. So you can talk to ATC, the controlling agency, when the weather's crummy. That's how you get a clearance if you're taking off IFR anyways. So all these things kind of work hand in hand. And, I mean, we can kind of build this uh, – build this as we go but that's just think controlled airspace that could include a uh an airport without a control tower a class e airport yeah where's class e down on the surface yeah right exactly yep.
0: that, that makes that's sense a good call Yep. all right we'll get into part b special vfr operations may only be conducted one with an atc clearance as we mentioned before two clear clouds this means you can't actually be in the clouds because that's instrument uh, except for helicopters when the flight visibility is at least one statue mile and four except for helicopters between sunrise and sunset or in alaska when the sun is six degrees or more below the horizon uh, unless a one or i the person being granted the hc clearance meets the applicable requirements for instrument flight under part 61 of this chapter and uh, double i the aircraft is equipped as required in 91.205D. That's basically that last part is the 91.105D is the required instruments for IFR flight, which we've covered in a previous episode.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Don't quote me on the number. I I can't remember the exact, but it's in there.
2: So for Uh, special VFR, does your aircraft have to be equipped to be IFR? So I couldn't go in the 150 and request special
1: VFR. Well, you probably meet all the requirements for an instrument flight. I know, but it's not instrument certified. Yeah, but you just have to meet the equipment. But you just have to meet the requi-
2: Okay, so you don't have to be like, your plane doesn't have to be IFR certified. It just has to meet the
1: requirements. I mean, don't. no, I'm not 100% on that, but the, I mean, look at, I mean, if I'm looking at this the way it reads, the aircraft is equipped as required in Part 91205. Okay. D. So yeah. if you meet all those, you can t- treat that like a checklist. Yep, 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 yep. Got it all. And you're I and okay. you're instrument rated. Yeah, you're should should be good to go. So you can yeah. do this
0: if you're not instrument rated.
1: No, you need to be instrument rated. Uh, the person being granted clearance meets the applicable requirements for instrument flight. So so why not just go IFR then? Excellent question. Why wouldn't you? Right. So, well, the, the only thing that I can come up with really quickly right now is you're going to an airport that doesn't have an instrument approach anyways. Yeah. So you take so, off under IFR, which is common, but you're a lot of times going somewhere that has an instrument, you know, an instrument approach to get you down out of the clouds. Here you're saying that the ceiling's low enough or the visibility's low enough that, you know, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm not going to really go that high. You know, get I'm not gonna get in the clouds because it says clear clouds. So I'm not gonna go get into an instrument situation. I want to maintain VFR so I can get up, get over there, and then you know get back down. That's the that's the first thing that comes to my mind is is going somewhere that doesn't have an instrument approach, anyways. Doesn't doesn't help you. That'd be the only way really to get in is under special VFR. Yeah. Scud running.
2: That's the way to do it.
0: What is scud running?
1: Anybody care
2: to share? Mr. Boris, it's uh, how you get around if the clouds are low. You know, just stay underneath them things.
1: Yeah, I mean that's low, I mean that low is ceiling.
2: Obviously, suspicion. you don't obviously you don't want to fly in the clouds because that's dangerous. So just fly underneath them.
0: What if the clouds are low,
2: low? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> stay in between the trees and the clouds. You're good. There's like power lines and stuff. Well, stay above those or under them, whatever. If
0: you don't see them,
1: (laughs) yeah, you can't. You can't see like just dodge that tower. Build out like guy wires and all that stuff. Well, I'll stay stay a couple hundred feet AGL.
2: That stuff's usually below that, right? Watch out for towers, but cables and stuff are you know.
1: There's a totally different feel like if you're going in an area, I assume if you're flying in an area that you are familiar with, you know where oh, yeah. that cell phone tower If was, you're in if a, you know if where you're where
2: you're an unfamiliar area, it might be a little risky. But if you know where you're at and you're just hopping over to the next airport that you've done 50 you know, times or so, whatever, 100 times. Is that
0: the cutoff 50 times?
2: Yeah, I mean 49,
1: it's no-go. Yeah, 49, is, good. is kind of Green risky, light. If, you,
2: if you've done it fifty times, you probably, you know, could scut around.
1: There's some airports, there's just no other way to do it though. There are some places in the country. I assume yeah. this is an everyday thing in Alaska. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the guys do at um what is it, uh, Kenmore up in Seattle, all the float planes, all the seaplanes. Well, first mistake I, is living in Seattle, but well, yeah, I'm, they're figuring that out quickly right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying that I wonder what they get away with. That area, I would think there's probably a lot yeah, of it's foggy. Running. It's foggy all the time there. It's cloudy all the yeah. time. Overcast. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how low an overcast they get. I, I don't have no know either. Idea.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, it could be a 2,500, you know, AGL overcast all the time. To somebody on the ground, they're like, oh, yeah, it's never sunny. Well, yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean they necessarily have to scud run. That just comes to my mind, Alaska, Seattle, um, that that would make a lot, probably, that would make, how else would you have one of those companies? I think Kenmore's been around since like 1946. What were they flying? They've done some scud running, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. What were they flying back then? Probably the same shit they're flying now, uh, the Havilland Beavers and stuff, you know? I mean, not beavers, you know, I don't know when beaver. I think beavers are in the 50s through the 60s, but. I don't know. Who knows what they were in? They could have started with Cubs for all we know. Yeah. Very
0: cool airplanes.
1: Yeah. I'm, yeah, they're all super cool and it's a great operation. I don't know what their safety record is. I'm sure it's okay. They're still in business, but they must do a lot of scud running, you know, to get from one place to another. But you can probably stay over water a lot, which obviously there's no towers typically coming up out of the water. So you have kind of a false, maybe, I don't want to say false insecurity, but follow the water just like some people follow train tracks or something to get right place that's the way to do it
2: it's like flying from Huron to Sandusky tracks go right by both airports
1: yeah I mean if you know and that's back to knowing the local yeah you know obstacles yeah totally different deal you know if you've done that flight five times yeah I mean day, I wouldn't and- I wouldn't scud
2: run into some airport that I've never been to before but so
0: I'm going to bring it back to part four, which I'm having trouble with. Well, the, mainly the part B section overall, the special VFR operations may only be conducted one with an ATC clearance. And okay, that's always everything Two clear clouds. It's obviously you can't be in clouds. It's no excuses. Your instruments at that point. point, uh, three, except for helicopters and flight visibility is at least one statue mile. So everybody's got to have one statue mile. And then four is the last one uh, of part B. Except for helicopters, which is airplanes, which is what we focus on, between sunset and sunrise, or in Alaska when the sun is six degrees or more below the horizon, unless, and then we're getting into the two things for between sunrise and sunset is one, the person being granted the HC clearance meets the applicable requirements for instrument flight under Part 61 of the chapter, means you have an instrument rating. And two, the aircraft is equipped as required in 91.205D which is the is instrument, well, at least has the equipment. Um, it seems the way that reads that you don't need an instrument rating and your aircraft doesn't need to be instrument level of instruments in it when you're between sunset and sunrise. or
1: Sunrise and sunset. But yeah.
0: Okay, sunrise
1: sunset so during the day okay that's what no, I you're on. No, you're 100 right where you're going is you're 100 right during the day you can do it at night okay. instrument you need to be ifr certified and the airplane needs to be ifr certified you are that's what you were getting at right yeah 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 i mean you're yeah you're you're just saying those backwards but yeah you're dead nuts on okay so I've been kind of taking us down a, a, a maybe an incorrect path. I didn't really think about that. As it's come back to me now, but of course I would say that. But, yeah, you nailed it. Dur- during the day, meet these first four. If it's you know at night or if you're in Alaska, they always have their special rules, six degrees below the horizon or more below the horizon, then you need to be IFR certified and so does the airplane. Or the airplane has to have the equipment anyways.
0: Yes. So yeah. if it's daytime, you don't need an
1: instrument rating. That's the way I would read it. Okay. Yeah. But I remember the a big caveat to this is if we, the very first sentence here is look at these airports that are in this appendix D section three. That's going to list, you know, a lot of the biggest airports around, you know, I can, I can pull that up if, if we care, or we can skip it.
0: Um, that's It doesn't matter to me. Um, So a private pilot, I mean not that I would recommend a private pilot doing this, um, but as far as legal fine letter of the law, a private pilot can can do special VFR during the
2: day. During the day,
1: right? Yeah, that's that that'd be my understanding. I would just I would just be leery about using that term because typically most instrument rated pilots are private pilot level certificates. You know what I'm saying?
0: I I should yeah, phrase it as a private Private pilot without an instrument rating.
1: Yeah, right. Could
0: down, yeah. could do it legally, although yeah, probably, I wouldn't recommend it.
2: Probably shouldn't be flying if there's clouds anyway. <laughs> yeah, Scott's a another extreme. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I would fly if there was like you know, it was like snowing out and the clouds were like five hundred feet. I'd go fly, but now it's like if you can, if you can't see like clear blue, blue sky from every direction, you probably shouldn't even bother flying.
0: <laughs> yeah, Scott, it's... Scott basically walks out to the hangar once he's decided. Okay, it's going to be the one one of one of three times I fly this year.
2: Walking <laughs> yeah, out to yeah. the hangar,
0: looking for an excuse not to fly.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And he's one of the things that will cancel the flight is if he sees a cloud.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That'll uh, do if, it. If yeah. that'll ground the wi-
0: it. Then he looks at the windsock. The if windsock it's moving at all, moving at all. That it's cancels tough. the flight. Yeah. Uh, the hangar door doesn't open up easily right away for some reason.
2: Um, yeah. If there's something in the, the way. The flight.
0: No. Yeah. If it's like, it's got to move something out yeah. of the way, maybe it'll, maybe it'll go in and move that out of the way. But then once he move it out of the way, he's like, all right, now it's ready it's for tough. next time.
2: Plane's plane's a little low on fuel. I don't feel like putting fuel in it. That's cancel the flight.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of things that makes got yeah. cancel a flight.
2: I have been flying a little bit more this year though. Yeah? Yeah. I've flown I didn't fly this week, but the last like three weeks I've flown.
1: That's good. Yeah.
2: That'll
1: once knock, you get
0: knocked the rust off. Once you yeah. get more current over time you become more comfortable.
2: Like yeah. You have well, a a while. I want my my flight instructor to like, you know, give me some like radio work and stuff like that and like some controlled field stuff, you know.
0: But you're not allowed to do that until I figure out how to rig up and record your audio conversation. I know. Yeah, yeah, so that's that true. That It'd still,
2: it still give us a lot of good conversation for the show, though.
1: Yeah,
0: even if it wasn't recorded, yeah. that'd be yeah. fun to have little clips to add in
1: oh man yeah, yeah it'd be never ending and so oh, yeah. relatable too and right. you could do it once and then do it another day and the whole everything oh, could yeah. be off you could have one flawless you know run through a controlled field and be like oh man i feel like a rock star and then go the very next day and a different situation like right. they tell you to hold because there's you know an emergency aircraft that landed on the runway blew a tire and it could be all kinds of stuff but yeah there's no shortage of material. For sure. It'd be, it'd oh, be yeah. you don't want to waste true. the um the opportunity, you know, to get some of it on, on uh record recorded. Yeah. One day.
0: Oh yeah. For Part sure. Part C. No person may take off or land an aircraft other than a helicopter under special VFR. Uh, one, unless ground visibility is at least one statue miles. Two, if ground visibility is not reported, unless flight visibility is at least one statue miles for the purpose purposes of this paragraph, the term flight visibility includes the visibility from the cockpit of an aircraft in takeoff position. If uh, I, the flight is conducted under this part 91 and double I, the airport at which the aircraft is located is a satellite airport that does not have weather reporting capabilities. So this is uh, taking off and landing. In theory, you could be traversing Uh, a controlled airspace under special VFR, not necessarily taking off or landing, um, which um, that would allow you a little less restrictions. But if you're actually going to take off and land, uh, this part C is adding in a little bit more is how I would break it down. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think, yeah, I mean, I think they're just, they're they're not rehashing, but they're kind of putting some constraints on you. Like they don't want you to take off at 800, you know, um, Three quarters of a mile, they want at least a mile of visibility. So they're basically this basically reduces you back to class G requirements. Right, so one mile if visibility.
2: You're, if you're flying into a class G airport, you don't really have to worry about this.
1: Correct. I'm just saying this is their way of yeah. under certain conditions to parallel the 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 um to parallel the operation to a class G. So remember, so, so you can't go unless the flight visibility is at least one statue mile. So it's one mile or better. And then if you go back up to the top, it's saying, Oh, well, where am I going wrong here? Because it already, it already references the yeah, one the part mile
0: B, there. I got part B, B B three already says, what except for helicopters and flight visibility is at least one statue mile. So I'm trying to see the difference between these yeah, two. Least.
1: A B and the C. One is the flight visibility, so uh, B three is flight visibility, um, and then this one is ground visibility, or and yeah, ground visibility is at least one statute mile. So now they're talking more about takeoff. Oh,
0: so or, one's one's flight, one's ground visibility.
1: Yeah, and then and then, or if you don't have you know any weather reporting like it talks about, they're saying you can use you know your observation and and just like we always you know it's always up to the pilot subject well oh, the weather was better than that than what i needed when i was in the air tell me i'm wrong yeah so that, right. i guess they're kind of giving you a little bit of um authority there to make that determination you know pilot captain's discretion um from the uh, pilot seat there they're giving um, you
0: that cuz they there's no other option cuz there's no there's no weather. hard data whereas <laughs> if it if it is a if it is a field that has that that weather availability uh, with weather reporting capabilities, then you have got to go by the hard letter. Of what's that? What that information's telling you?
1: It is. It is weird that they're talking special operation. Special VFR uh, operation may only be conducted. And then yeah, down here it's no person may take off or land an aircraft under special VFR. So yeah, so the ground visibility could be what's reported, and then obviously use your flight visibility if you don't have the weather reporting. And then you got to keep it 91, which we know. Yeah, I guess it's very convoluted, but yeah, so they're giving you kind of like what you um kind of acknowledged is now they're kind of covering both bases. You know, before you know you can look at um part B, that could be takeoff or landing. You know, obviously I'm thinking about it as take off, like I need ATC clearance to take off into this, into crummy or you know, less than uh VFR. And then I guess it's kind of a catch-all with this part C is the way I'm reading it. If you don't have anything reported, how do you know that you have the requirements for class, for the special VFR? And they're saying basically, hey, use you know, use your best judgment as you know the the pilot so and keep it part ninety-one.
2: If you're coming into an uncontrolled field and the weather drops, visibility drops. Describe
1: uncontrolled though, class G or well, What
2: do you mean? Okay, class G, I guess.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah, Like if I'm coming
2: back into to Huron to Hind,
1: yeah, yep.
2: And uh, the weather dropped
1: unexpectedly.
2: But that's one mile
1: clear clouds for you to go. Well, let's
2: say it. Let's say it dropped to half mile. I'm already in the air. What then?
1: As far as like your legality to take off or land.
2: Well, I'm in. I'm already in the air. I have to land. So,
1: well, yeah, but the the idea would be that you would, so you wouldn't know since you don't have weather reporting, you wouldn't know that it dropped until you got there to experience it, right? Right.
2: Yeah. So you get there, you find out that you got about a half mile visibility. Yes. Then what? And so how
1: you you found I that mean, out? Because you flew in it, right? Personally, I would just and, land. But you knew that you know if I do a coordinated standard rate turn back to the left or the right. And right. You go back where I came from. The weather is better than that half mile. Well, yeah, but so you're going to land it. an airplane with a half mile visibility. So, Mike, I I understand where you're going. You're like, well, the airport's right there. Like, maybe yeah, I can still see it. See it. Yeah. yeah. If you can, if you can still like, you're on short final. Is that kind of the picture you're kind of? Trying yeah. To paint?
2: Well, you do your standard fly over the field, look at the windsock because obviously there's no weather reporting from the airport so you kind of got to do that so you, you fly over it you can see it uh-huh clearly there but you only got about a half mile visibility
1: okay so i mean me so personally, you, i would just land but i'm just saying what should you do well i mean most people would probably do what you're saying the yeah. issue with that is you know you're gonna have to defend your stance it was a mile when i landed yeah. what do you want me to tell you since there isn't weather reporting tell me i'm wrong because I just did it and it was fine it was a mile in flight. Yeah. Okay. That's what you would say. Rob don't yeah. don't you agree?
2: Yeah.
1: On that at least. Now the expectation I believe would be as soon now how do you know that it was a mile a minute ago and now it's a half mile? Obviously you can see it go down but did it go from 3 miles to 1 mile? I don't know. Well, did it go from 1 mile just, to a half mile? The nearest airport that has weather reporting I would just look at that
2: and let's say yes. their weather reporting said 1 mile. But okay. we're on the lake, you know, things happen. It could be fog oh. rolled in or something, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it could be totally could different in a, a few different, different airports. Yeah, 10 miles can make a huge difference.
1: Huge difference. And so I, I, I think the expectation would be from a conservative standpoint is that when you experienced the crappy weather, now you're painting a s- specific scenario where I saw I, I can see, I can maintain visual contact with the airport the whole time. So you're you've entered the pattern. And you can maintain visual contact with the runway, the landing surface, the entire time. Mm-hmm. That, I think you've painted a, a specific scenario where just go ahead and land. It's safe to land. But in lieu of that, you like, I mean, let's if you say... you can't find the runway, you should probably go back to where you well, came from. Well, I don't know that I'd want to say can't find the runway, because under a half-mile visibility... But you should be able to find it under a half-mile, but... Oh, I, well, I don't agree with that. Half-mile visibility... That's not much. That is nothing. Well, okay, but a use mile your GPS. Is nothing. if you're what's familiar
2: that? with the area, well, yeah, you're assuming down, that somebody's familiar you, you, with the area. Use,
1: if you got a GPS, you you're should assuming be able... that they're familiar with the airport. Or with well, the airport. yeah, I'm
2: saying in this in this situation, obviously, I'm familiar with the airport, but
1: yeah, and and you know everything around the airport too. Right. So you have your landmarks, oh, and that's more what's called bit. a contact. approach. GPS. you're looking down a lot more at what's underneath yeah. you and you're checking right over top of the airport. Yes. You and know. and as long as you can maintain that safe distance and you have enough altitude, you know, and all that stuff to, to do a normal approach to landing, that's all good. But I, I would think the expectation would be if it was like a student of mine or whatever, somebody I cared about, you know, I'm mean, like, like you, it, like if this is a different airport, let's use a different airport for an example that you're not familiar with. My expectation of you would be as soon as you go from uh, that whatever, let's say, legal, you know, maybe mile, mile and a half visibility to wow, it just really deteriorated. Go back where it's good. You should already have an idea where you would go if you looked at the forecast, anyways, because that probably did not was not a hundred percent unexpected if you did proper preflight planning.
0: I mean, if it's so bad, if you get yourself in like a horrible situation like that, where there's no, like, it's not just isolated, it's the whole area, you probably did really poor, uh, pre-flight planning. 100%.
1: 100%. That's a great way to sum it up.
0: In that situation. Yeah. It's possible to do check the weather, you know, thoroughly understand what's going on and then something localized changes and, you know, it throws you into that situation. Uh, Just by pure accident, you know, despite all of your proper pre-flight planning um, versus like an entire weather system moved in and you got nowhere to go where it's a mile. That that means you like didn't even check the weather like or you were you were pushing it like you knew something was coming in and you pushed it too much and you shouldn't have done that anyway.
1: Uh, I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, that's, that's it. You didn't do any pre-flight planning. I'm not saying sky, uh, sky. I mean, it's almost sounds like we're ganging up on you, but I know you're just posing the question. Not the yeah, yeah.
2: And that's well, obviously am- now that's a- I don't fly if there's clouds in the sky. This, I mean, I may have gotten in this situation, you know,
1: back in the day, but. Yeah. And, and there's one thing, you know, getting yourself in a situation like we talked about, there are instances, you know, just a, a, a wind direction change in the right season on the North coast change can be totally different whether you can make it in or make it out. Mm -hmm. And that's, that isn't, I don't want to say acceptable, but that is totally different. And that can vastly be different between the different airports. Like we talked about 10 miles can make a very big difference as the suitability of an airport. But my expectation would be that if it was an airport you're unfamiliar with or less than familiar with. Now, if you get into, Hey, it's good right now. I feel comfortable. And then it goes down you're like, yeah, but I still feel comfortable. That's one thing. How do you how do you assign a visibility number to that associated feeling? <laughs> who, no, who knows? You know, yeah. everybody's comfort level may be different. Your altitude, the speed of your aircraft, how often you fly, all that stuff comes into play. But if you say, "Wow, it dropped quick," I'm not familiar. My expectation would be you'd get uh, somewhat on your instruments and do a standard rate turn back around where you knew the weather was better, and hopefully, like Rob said, you did some planning so you knew where the uh, weather would be good at for sure and and head that direction. That would be my expectation. But if you feel you can continue the approach to land and do it safely, that is your discretion as the pilot in command to always do that. And then you just have to defend your stance if somebody were, if there was an FAA inspector sitting, you know, sitting in the weeds watching. They they don't come around here too much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're not talking about that airport. We're talking about a random airport that you're not comfortable with.
0: That's the underlying thing is that that would be an emergency situation where you, if you didn't have fuel,
1: if you didn't have fuel. yeah. Yeah. If you have fuel and you have, you know, three hours of fuel. you're gonna have have to really be like it was it was a mile dude what do you want me to tell you i saw the airport the whole time did you hear me fly overhead he'll say yeah you're like okay i saw the windsock from you know pattern altitude which is a thousand feet almost a half mile well not really but uh, that's a quarter mile and then you know i did the whole pattern kept the airport in sight the whole time came in and landed what do you want yeah how do they know the visibility so they got uh yeah. They have they yeah. They would have no way of
2: doing it. Or, very good equipment on them,
1: probably not. Yeah, they got it in a briefcase, right? They just open it up, put it on a picnic bench, and it does all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and that that brings all these questions up. You know, clear clouds. You know, a thousand above, five hundred below, two thousand feet horizontally. How do you do all of that? You don't. You guesstimate and stay away from clouds. You know, if there's a limitation on it, depending on the airspace you're in. But under special VFR or Class G, like the scenario you're painting one mile clear clouds, you're good to go. And you're familiar with the airport in the scenario. So you have, you know, all the home field advantages going, you know, in your favor. And you think you can conduct it safe.
0: That example that Scott of eight eight delta, that's basically the length of the field if you include what's technically a uh,
2: Yeah, it's about a half
0: this um, place threshold is like yeah. a half a mile.
1: Yeah. 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 Twenty five hundred feet, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. twenty five hundred feet plus some extra. Yes. That's technically a displaced threshold, but everyone uses yeah. a it's, it's runway because there's no markings. It's,
2: it's twenty three hundred feet plus three hundred feet. So okay, wow. Okay. There's twenty three hundred okay. foot of runway, and then there's another three or four hundred feet of displaced threshold. Yeah, so so like, think,
0: that's like, not a long runway. That visibility, you could be at one end of the runway and not see the other end, and that's not a long runway. Like no, that's, that's not a any visibility. Like, yeah that is yeah yeah that's, that's know, the walls are coming incredible. in oh yeah that situation
2: i wouldn't want to do it i wouldn't want to be up there i'm just saying like if i'm flying in that shitty of weather and i do get back and i see the runway i'm landing i'm not i'm not going anywhere else like if yeah, I, that'd, just well,
0: be your, that'd just be your human survival technique yeah, kicking yeah. in i got it now i may not have it forever yeah, i'm gonna I, take I the not. shot but, yeah
2: doing back where I came from, like, I'm just going to land this thing.
0: That whole thing but, is an emergency Ron, situation at this point. Yeah.
1: yeah. If you don't have fuel. Yeah. I, I would, I guess I would disagree with you guys. If you don't have the fuel, if you have the runway in sight, yeah, do it up yeah. all day long, but you're yeah. kind of painting a picture where you've teleported yourself to within a half mile of the threshold. Well, you have yeah. to get to that half mile from the threshold to see the threshold. And when did it get to a half mile? Now, of course, we're saying a half mile, not 0.9 miles, which is. okay. but like we fly in
2: here at night, there's no runway lights. I mean, sometimes you're. 500 feet
1: before you start seeing the reflectors on the runway. Well, yeah, but hold on, hold on. You have all the other clues around, which you have. No, I know it is
2: entirely different, but still, you don't have the runway made until you're like. You know, maybe five hundred to a thousand feet away from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, that's a valid that's a valid point there. I just think that you would have enough other input. Oh yeah, where you were, and And if you if it's not right in front of you when you get there, around and you can you're not you know then you yeah. You're the fine. situation that we're painting is if you go around, kind of the emergency aspect you guys are talking about, is if you go around, you're going into the clouds yeah. and making your situation worse, and now having to get yourself back in that same position to try it again. So Which okay. maybe you can, maybe you can't.
0: That specific situation, I've seen it before, I've never been caught in it, but I've seen it where is it the spring or the fall that would have been um clear visibility over the lake? but then fogging as soon as you get on the land. Like typically that's the situation in Scott's airport where you're, would be yeah. dealing with, like you could go. If I it means, think that's fall.
1: Right?
2: Sometimes it's yeah. like,
1: well, yeah, I want to say water. it's fall. Well, you could have that either way, advection fog, but normally like, so you want the warmer water. So the natural water cycles happening. So you have water evaporating and then that moist air is getting pushed over colder ground and that pulls the, uh, um, gets it closer to the dew point so it fogs up
0: that makes sense because like a lot of times in that situation it's like there's clear air out over the lake
1: yeah yeah it was
0: if i'm in this half mile disaster sketchy situation over here on find airport i'm gonna figure out how to get just right out over the lake and then start clearing up and just it's foggy on the land it will land in the islands or something where it's you can make a good approach and be safe and just wait it
1: out. Yeah, that, that's a conservative path. I mean, obviously every situation would be different. A lot of people don't have that luxury, you know, when they're fogged, you know, they're down and they're talking, we're talking about an airport that's maybe down in a bowl surrounded by higher terrain and all the cold air sank there and it's fogged up and they don't have that luxury that, I mean, obviously it's a thin layer. You just climb, do a go around, you get up above it and, you know, and then you're good. But I'm picturing a scenario where, I don't know why I'm picturing this because everything you just said is a hundred that could be the scenario where, you know, you're down low and it's foggy and then it gets like thicker fogs to your visibility drops. But I'm picturing a ceiling, a low ceiling. I'm picturing low visibility that just gets lower, like a hardcore IFR type day, which a scenario you're painting is very, very realistic too. Which and I didn't what I'm think getting about. it
0: obviously the vast majority of the podcast listeners aren't going into, uh, eight, eight Delta. Uh, but basically that's airport. We're super familiar with that area of flying. You kind of like, know. we know the weather conditions in that region and where stuff, depending on the type of year, like I haven't flown there for so long. I forgot whether it was spring or fall where you'll get that kind of stuff, but, um, fall makes the most sense. But anyway, you, you know, you kind of know where there's probably clear air if there is any. And if there is any, you should probably go there,
1: yeah,
2: yeah,
0: uh, get yourself out of the situation
2: ohio there's there's an airport in like every county, so I mean it's usually pretty much a place to to go, yeah,
1: you yeah. should always have your out and know where the the good weather is, you know, and yeah. take your pick what good weather means to you and your capability and the aircraft's capability, but you should know where that is now the scenario we're painting though is kind of a rapidly changing like it was forecast to be good the wind switched oddly enough and now it's fogged in like hardcore fog and a lot of people like that are landlocked don't know what we're talking about yeah. but i mean i mean picture like soup you know that that can happen just with a wind switch depending on the season up there and yeah. it's um obviously that that's something that wouldn't be forecast necessarily so that that's a situation that we're we're trying to paint in ohio here it's pretty uh i mean there's
2: always somewhere you can go cuz actually Ewe county where where we're at is the only county in ohio that doesn't have one or more paved runways in the county so <laughs> every single right. county in the entire state has at least one paved runway except right. wy
1: Right. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of options and and you know, depending on where you're at, there's there may be more, there may be less options, but obviously good pre flight planning, like Rob, you can't can't emphasize that enough. The pre flight planning. Know where the good weather is, you know, know kind of your timeline. You know, if you're landing after X period of time, pretty much commit yourself to going to your alternate. If you get into the the destination airport, the planned destination, great. Plan to be landing at your alternate. Set yourself up so you don't have that issue with that um, being like demoralized. Like, don't don't think you got defeated just because you got to go to your alternate. Make that the plan.
0: You technically, and this is a good point too. You technically don't have to have an alternate when you're flying VFR. That's no. A, from a leg- legality standpoint, that's only right. uh, instrument when you're flying IFR instrument flight rules. Right. Uh, but it, that doesn't mean it's not a really good idea when you're flying VFR visual flight rules, uh, that's kind of like when the weather's decent, you're a beginner, your structure mm-hmm. is all under VFR. Um, I mean,
2: yeah, just go around and burning holes in the sky. If you're going from like point A to point B, you should probably have an alternate.
1: Yes. And, in- yeah, so I mean, I, I guess if we were to backtrack, so when so we're talking about alternate in terms of, hey, if the weather isn't good enough, like if something in the forecast changes, like we're kind of talking about, like just this wind switch, and man, you're socked in, you can't land at your your planned destination anymore. So that's kind of the way we're talking about it, and that's the way you think about it in, in instrument flight rules type scenarios, but here's a more realistic one. You're going to, you know, whatever this airport is long paved runway. It's got an ILS and, you know, and that's an instrument thing. And you're like, wow, it's good. I mean, it's got a 5,000 foot runway. I I need 500 feet. So obviously, it, it checks all the boxes I need. It's close to where I'm going. I'm super happy with it. Blah, blah, blah. Crystal clear day, tons of fuel on board. There should be zero issues. Well, what if the airplane before you? was a Learjet, and they're like, man, this is a short runway for us, blah, blah, blah. And they land, lock up the brakes, blow out tires, and they're stranded on the runway. It's not weather that stops you from being able to use that airport anymore. It's another aircraft that does. They better So move. now, what's that's, that? They better move, that's what I'd say. Well, and you probably have enough that you can either land after them or land before them and just be able to explain why, and you can say that, you know, you didn't have enough fuel to, and then somebody's asked, well, why didn't you have a half hour fuel to go to this county airport right next door? But that's something you need to be prepared to answer for when you land, if you want to, you know. Like again, in a one fifty, yeah. just put it in the hangar. Leave. Yeah. Don't say well, anything. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying it's not that it's you're going on vacation somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. You're gonna yeah. sit tied down out there for somebody yeah. to yeah. come hang a piece of paper on or something. This
0: scenario sounds familiar. Is this like an aircraft, like a jet? lands in a really small airport, tries to do a U-turn on the runway and ends up in the mud. And then the mechanic comes out screaming at the pilot, belittling him in front of everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I that mean, that's been known, that's known
0: to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's happened before.
2: Oh, yeah, more than once. I wouldn't would say he screamed at him, but he did He did mock him and make fun of him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. a similar situation happen.
2: Uh, Why'd you turn around scream. here? He's like, well, I, I didn't know... This. There was a turnaround at the end, and he's like, oh, well, if you look at the chart, or if you look at the airport diagram, it's that ball at the end of the runway, you know?
0: <laughs> he Granted was
2: just being such a smart guy yeah, the
0: mechanic does not have a pilot's license. Yeah, now. no. This guy had a commercial, and was flying yeah. commercially and screwed up, and he's uh, a mechanic <laughs> who enjoyed just ripping people to shreds.
2: The guy's like, clearly, this is probably like the low point of his career. And like, <laughs> Mark was just no him. remorse. No, yeah.
0: <laughs> Laying into him.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was good.
0: At The end of this is uh, part D. The determination of visibility by a pilot in accordance with paragraph C2 of this section is not an official weather report or an official ground visibility report. So C two is basically if you're if there's no weather reporting equipment and the pilot says it's was good, that's not an official statement. Is that what I'm gathering? Like
1: the way I look at it. So think of it if it was a a Part One Thirty Five type operation or something like that. They can't. That person has a Part Ninety One. And, and you in their them, them as pilot commander of the aircraft they can't go say hey it's 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 good you're good to come on in to somebody who's operating 135 or something like that they cannot they cannot go on and tell everybody hey no the weather's good I, I know I know it looks low but the weather is good now I'm, I'm a pilot you know I know what I'm talking about that's the way I look at it it can't it would have to be an official approved weather res, uh, report from you know a trained observer or Or, you know, an automated type system to be official. Just because you're the pilot of the airplane and you say that it's a mile, and that makes you legal to take off. You can't go on and kind of, you know, propagate that information to other pilots so that they can legally use that airport. They need to make the determination themselves for them and their aircraft. That's the way I read that. The way that's the way I would interpret that. Does that sound right? The way
0: Yeah, I I couldn't think of a a better interpretation of it, it just seems kind of like common sense redundant. But I guess if you're, if you're bringing in some of the other more official operations, um, that that could be, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I, yeah. The, I don't know why it would ever be pertinent, but I mean, again, you always, I always go to like these, or I always want to think about like these, these Alaskan operators where they are in such a harsh, you know, Uh, very demanding type operations that, you know, if they don't go, the mail doesn't get there. If they don't go, the milk doesn't get there. All these things, you know, they're the lifeline to a lot of those communities. And do they push it? Do they stretch some rules? Probably. I don't want to speak for anybody, but just what I've heard. And maybe that's, you know, I shouldn't even go there, but um, they, they make it work for them. And as much flying as they do, Obviously it must have some good tribal knowledge and good techniques and good training up there because it's a miracle as much flying and the hours that go in and in in the air up there that there are not more accidents, I would say is a miracle.
2: Well, it's probably people that are pretty experienced with
1: flying in that
2: condition. That's probably
1: all that's left. Everybody who sucks is dead.
2: Right. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, and I mean it sucks you know well, and you and I, I imagine model. if
2: you grow up there like if you if you started flying up there it probably is like you have that skill you know That's all you know you learned how to fly up there like it's kind of like some people like don't even like flying into to hind here because it's shorter it's grass and there's trees at the end of the runway and stuff like that, you know, but we grew up flying here. So it's not a big deal. I imagine it's similar to that, you know,
0: same with like Lake Erie islands, like stuff we've done going in and out of Lake Erie islands. It's like, I would not even experience a pilot. That's just not experienced with the islands. I'd never tell them to do it.
1: Yeah. It, it, that, yeah, that is so crazy. So like the other day and I, on next Sunday, I got to do the same thing in reverse. So we dropped some people off up in Maine and it was a forty-two hundred foot strip, which sounds like a ton, right? And obviously, I've done a lot of short field stuff, and like once you're in a jet, forty-two hundred feet, like Perfect. I planted it, I planted it, and and I got on, you know, I got on thrust reversals immediately and got the nose wheel down so I could start getting on the brakes pretty hard. You don't want to get on the brakes while the nose is in the air because obviously it's going to you know jerk the nose down and it'll slam the nose down. You don't want to do that. But yeah, so I, I got everything down basically as quickly as I could and got on the brakes pretty hard. And we had plenty left, but we had plenty left because I did all of those things. I would love to have milked out and done a great landing for him. but how many, how many hundreds, maybe a 1,000 feet will you leave behind you to do a good soft landing? Yeah. I wanted to make the airplane operate into a field that to an Archer or uh, 150 is... Tons of runway. Twice what's, as three times as much as you need. But what's the shortest field you'd be comfortable taking that into? Forty two hundred feet. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I gotta do it again. And I I don't know that we're gonna be able to get what's, out of there. What's Norwalk? Is that four thousand? I want to say forty four hundred. I'm not 4, sure. 4, 4. Yeah, you might be right. So you would There's take a, it But uh, that's um bad. Yeah, I mean we yeah, I mean it's it's different. And I have a totally different so, when we went in, though, that was my first time ever being there. And so, this obviously pre flight planning, I did as much as I could. You know, I looked on Google Maps and I looked at all the aeronautical stuff and, and, and whatever to kind of get an idea of the terrain around. It kind of sits in a bowl surrounded by mountains, stuff like that. And, you know, we have to do things different. It's part 25 airplane, which means it's a transport category. So, we have to do a lot of performance data calculations for takeoff and landing. Like le- legally, like people think, like, oh, Part 91, you have to fly King Air, you know, whatever. Well, you don't have to come up with any real hard numbers. You use the guesstimates, and it works. You fly the airplane; it's a big airplane. Well, once you get into transport category, the rules kind of change on you, and you have to be able to. You have to calculate your takeoff data so that if you lose an engine at your V1 decision speed, like we covered a couple weeks ago, um, you you can continue the takeoff, like on one engine. Yeah. And that blows a lot of people's mind. So we have to have all this data figured out. And so if you have an engine failure prior to V1, your decision speed, you're going to reject the takeoff, thrust reversers, brakes, spoilers, all that good stuff. And you're going to reject the takeoff and stop on the runway remaining. If it's after V1, you'll roll off the end. So that's why you continue the takeoff, And these speeds are all computed so that you can continue to take off at your weight, temperature, all that good stuff. But when yeah, so part 25, like I'm saying, you have to meet all this criteria. Yeah, can the airplane, can I rotate early and t- and lift off early and do all that stuff like it's just another airplane? Yeah, you probably can. But the rules change with part 25, just like an airliner. Airliners are all certified under part 25, transport category. So is a little old Learjet or a Citation, most of them are part 25. So the rules just change. And like even though, like Rob, you were saying, the comfort level... I'm comfortable with short strips, obviously, and it's all relative. And I would not say 42 is like super, super short. But man, I mean, I had to do, I had to be very aggressive with everything I did in order to feel like we had like plenty of room left at the end of the landing roll. I had to, I touched down before the touchdown markers. I touched down firmly, no float at all. I barely arrested the descent rate. I mean, it was firm not unsafe, obviously I didn't damage anything. I wouldn't do that, but it was very firm, like like textbook firm in a transport category airplane, minimal float if any, and thrust reversed out immediately on the brakes, nose wheel down. I did everything as close to textbook um, to, land in a, to land in a transport category airplane You know, by the numbers, and I had to do all of that to make me feel like I had plenty left. And so that's 4,200 feet. So that's, I'm sure there's somebody better than me that can that that is more comfortable with 3,500 feet or something. Well, well short yeah. I mean, field, does it all the time. What's considered
0: a sh- what's considered a short field for a like a Super Cub's a lot different than what's considered a short field oh, for yeah. like a
2: Learjet. Oh, right, I, obviously. Yeah. And Hind skill would, like, comes a lot more into more it. Than you need for a Super Cub like way more. Than you need. I said Hind would be oh, you know, 88 Delta would be way more than you need for a Super Cub, but Obviously, oh, yeah. you're going to land a jet Learjet here.
1: Yeah, and I mean that, and and it's it's all comfort level. Where in the in the jets, you are flying a specific number. You're not getting it close to stall. You know, you're flying 1.3, your stall speed in the landing configuration plus probably a little bit. You know, would so, you
2: uh, would you fly a Navajo into 88 Delta?
1: I mean, I have zero comfort level in a Navajo. So, right now, I would say no. Oh, I don't know. Right. I would, There is very little that I would probably fly in there. I just,
2: I remember right somebody now. used
1: to fly a Navajo in and out here. And that seemed like
2: that was probably like, probably the insurance company would not approve of that.
1: I no, I imagine, I imagine not. But there's an advantage with the soft field when you're landing. You don't have oh, to yeah. really try oh, that hard to definitely. still do a decent landing. Takeoff is a little,
2: disadvantage but landing is an advantage
1: but those have a ton of power though if you kept it light on fuel yeah i suppose 700 horsepower you know 650 to 700 horsepower
0: there was never a navajo base out of there was there
1: uh
2: i don't know if it was based here it was a long time ago uh i can't remember if it was based here if you just like kept it here sometimes Zolner, yeah I mean,
1: I figured, I figured that's where that was going. I don't know. I mean, it's all, if you do a, you know, a soft field or short field technique, who knows what those are capable of? Who's tried that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Ron did. Yeah. Well, he tried. Maybe they're an incredible short field. You know, you do some funky thing with flaps and whatever. And obviously it worked, Yeah. you know, but there's a big difference, I suppose. Cause like, so now like in the transport category stuff, you get so into the numbers, like, okay. So like the takeoff said, we need like 3,900 feet. Well, there's only 4,200 feet, but that only means that if an engine failure occurred, one not below V1, we would reject and we would use 3,900 feet. We had 300 feet left at the end of the runway. So we were hundred percent legal to do that. So you start getting these numbers and it almost starts like messing with your brain. Like man 3900 is really close to 4200. We can't go. You know, so it just starts starts playing with you a little bit. You know and if oh well what if the, what if it's 2 degrees warmer? Oh no, we can't go. It says we're going to need 4201. Then you legally can't take off even though it's part 91. That's what people don't 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 think about. Even though it's part 91 flight, it's a part 25 airplane. So you still have to have that takeoff data computed and it has to and it has to work. Of course, if the engine doesn't fail you're good you're going to need two thousand feet of runway you know what i mean
0: so you you have to comply with that like if i were to purchase um a learjet that's part 25 i would have to conform with all that even if i'm flying it around
1: just for myself yep i mean you can choose to break those i mean you can choose to break those rules of course and i'm sure that is done often you know, but yeah, I mean, you're supposed to, yeah, you're supposed to compute all that prior to takeoff because let's put it this way, like the software that's out there now that does it. I mean, it's not like it's any more work for you to do. You put in the, the weather and your weight, you know, do your weight and balance, which is very simple um, to do these days. You put all that in and it gives you all your V speeds that you need and then it calculates your takeoff distance and all that, you know, all the legality stuff along with it. So it's n- literally no extra work to determine that number. You just have to make sure that it that it works and the software now flags you, tell you you're overweight. Like it'll just plain tell you that hey, you need to lose weight or you need to take off when it's cooler or something like that. And it's very simple. It keeps keeps you out of trouble. But when you see that number get what I guess what I'm getting at is you get so into these numbers Every day, every single flight, it starts to play with your brain a little bit. And when you see that number start approaching what the actual field length is, you start like, "Oh yeah, this is too close, too close, too close." Well, in theory, it should say it could say four thousand two hundred feet, and I'm still legal to take off because that is how much I have. That's how much I need, and that's also how much I have. So you're good. It's it's very it's very weird because you're not flying it like by see your pants like in the Navajo. Or a one fifty, or a super good or anything. You're not flying that by seat of pants. You're pl- flying it by numbers. So it can it can get in your head. It's gotten in my head clearly because I'm I would consider myself a a decent stick and rudder pilot uh, with some decent short field experience, and uh, under all the different conditions, you know, gusty winds, hot, heavy, all that good stuff. And now I kind of have become a little bit of a um, not a worrier, but I've gotten into the numbers, and so now I've kind of uh gotten more conservative I guess about it, just because you're using the numbers so much and it's black and white where it's not like, oh, I got the skills I can fly I can land this one fifty there I can stick this in there, you know I can milk out that last little bit of performance on takeoff. you're not thinking like that anymore you're like, does the numbers work or do they not work
0: and what's weird is the most manufacturers of part 23 aircraft don't they, they probably could come up with a lot of these numbers and if hypothetically they had the numbers and you ran them you'd probably feel the same way about smaller aircraft but you're flying more by the seat of your pants you think it's more of that or is it um like is it the availability of the numbers or is it more the actual
1: aircraft I think it's probably you raise a good point, and that I guess that's kind of you, you're you're making. I think what my point is is that I think you're looking at the numbers so much that that is just the world you live in. That is now kind of your universe where you didn't run the numbers before you used experience and your comfort level in a specific airplane to determine whether it would work. Hey, I did it yesterday. I did it this morning. You know, um, I did it last year. Whatever and you're just using personal experience. You know, like these guys in a Super Cub, they're landing somewhere that nobody maybe has ever landed ever before. Well, how do you run numbers on that? How do you know you can get in? How do you know you can get out? Past experience. Um, And so I think, you know, I think all the numbers are there in a Part 23 airplane, you know, from like teaching people, you know, how to do weight and balance and run performance numbers. I think they're all there. But I think it people are very quick to maybe discredit the, like the air approved flight manual for airplanes. Because maybe back in the day they weren't that accurate. I mean, I'd like to think they're pretty accurate now, but I think people always you hear people talk about oh, yeah, the book says it'll do 130 knots, but it'll only do one eighteen and stuff like that. You hear that all the time. So that tends to make you which I've yet to see that be true in anything. Um yeah. but my one fifty is slower than the book says it is. Yeah, and there's probably a multitude of reasons why that is. But you also have a different prop than what it came with. Yeah. Why? Do you, and... It gained a ton. It gained one game. ton. One ton of yeah. weight, yeah. 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 One ton of weight, rough paint. Who knows how straight your rigging is? It's
2: not. Both of my ailerons are down. They're like little flaps. Like for like short field stuff?
1: I don't know. The concept?
2: I don't know why it is both. No, if you pro- put the, if you put the ailerons level so they're equal, they're both down.
1: And there's nothing wrong with that. That will help takeoff performance. Yeah, you know, a little more. Sure you know, it slows me down a little bit, but yeah. It's, uh,
0: what if they were both up? Yes. What
1: if they were do? both, How I love this be? question, and that is <laughs> what I would do. If I had an airplane, I would. And that's called like reflexing, is what that's called. Well, I think that's what they call them gliders. I think, I think that I hate the term. I think that's dumb because not really doesn't make sense. So what that would do, if you think about it, if you bring your ailerons up to the, and I'm not saying do anything illegal. So like if the maintenance manual has a tolerance, like plus two degrees, minus two degrees, take it to the plus two. Take those up if you want speed. So what that's going to do though, is that's going to move the center of pressure on the wing aft. Which gets it closer to the center of hold on. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Moves the center or the, the it moves the center of pressure or the center of lift forward closer to the center of gravity, which is gonna unload the tail a little bit and should allow you to go a certain percentage faster. I would take the flaps, all the ailerons, if they're in a neutral position, I would have those all up to the limit possible. Because you want to move that center. So the same concept applies. Like if you, if you're going to take X amount of weight, put it aft because then that is going to, that is going to get the center of gravity closer to the center of pressure. The center of pressure doesn't really change. That's always constant. Isn't having the ailerons down a little bit better for short field? It is. Yeah. But if you want to go faster, which was what airplanes are kind of for. Yeah. That's what I would do. I mean, aren't you? Then take off with more flaps. Well, I guess, yeah. Because that's movable. You can't do anything about the ailerons. That's true. Take off with two or three degrees more you, uh, flaps. Now.
2: always about more short-peeled performance than you were about speed.
1: Well, and I don't want to say that I'm not now, but since that is a situation where you can just add in two more degrees of flaps with those huge-ass flaps that are on that thing, one degree. Do one more degree or change your technique. I'd rather be able to have those as negative a camber as possible to help me yeah. go faster and cruise. Flaps are movable. The ailerons are not where well, they're set on the ground, you know, via rigging. But yeah, if they're rigged down for short field stuff, that's obviously going to impact.
0: Ailerons. If you don't know, are the rearward control surfaces on the end of each
1: wing. Uh, Help with roll. Yeah, control roll, yes. Yeah, that's that's very good. We got way deep on that. We're talking about center of pressure. People <laughs> don't even know what ailerons are, maybe. But yeah, so I mean, there's different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what? Oh, you. yeah, you're talking about book performance. Yeah, so that, I mean, we just talked about a number of factors why your airplane may not meet the book. And remember, that is, that is, an, I don't want to say that's a tale. You know your airplane, you know what the book says, you know what yours does. Now, also, I would, would like to bring up when was the last time you computed a true airspeed number on your airplane? Because that is what is in your uh-huh. book. <laughs> yeah. So you <laughs> don't know. You're going by what's on your airspeed indicator, which is yeah, what everybody yeah. talks about yeah. on the forums.
0: Back when Scott was 17, maybe?
1: Yeah. yeah. Maybe. 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 So I did so it once. People, yeah, right. You did it once and then you forgot about it. And so people are quick to discredit the part 23 manufacturers when maybe that, maybe that's a valid, maybe that's a valid point, but I have yet to see it where it's not accurate in the, you know, the few airplanes that I actually ran the numbers on.
0: Wait, what's the shortest field you've ever landed at?
1: I'd have to get out of Google maps just because, um, there are some like n- non-used, um, runways that, that I've used. Um, they were no longer used. They used to be used, but then they haven't been used in years. And the, to to make it work, you know, I just, I landed into the wind. The wind was so strong, I couldn't have landed with the, you know, the normal runway. So I'd have to get out of Google Maps. But the shortest official is 1,500 feet.
0: Okay, I it so that, that doesn't added.
1: sound, yeah, that doesn't sound.
0: Rattlesnake?
1: That. Yeah, a rattlesnake. Yeah. How long is Rattlesnake? 1,500. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I've, oh man. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that, but again, it comes down to knowing your airplane, knowing, Yeah. I you mean, know, it, I, I got 30 landings in that airplane and 30 takeoffs landings in that airplane that day. You know, you, yeah. you get so used to how that airplane performs that you know what it's capable of. If the conditions are right in a 150, I
2: mean, you can land on 500 feet or less, you
1: know. Oh, yeah. Well, remember in Sandusky, You could land and turn off landing north at that first.
2: Yeah, you took you turned off the first taxiway off the north-south runway. That had to be, what, 200 feet?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like the first time I ever flew it, too? It was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's the first time I ever flew a 150 in my life.
2: Yeah, you're like, I bet I could make that turn off.
1: And you did. That's when you just
0: jumped in Scott's plane. So
1: yeah. how it's done? yeah well, it turned out that way, but remember and it was a decent landing, I think, if I remember correctly, right. but what? complete and total beginner's luck, and that speaks volumes to how kind of awesome those airplanes really are oh yeah, I mean, you got forty degrees of flaps, those
2: things you know they stop on a dime if you want them to
1: yeah they just they just need more power, you know a one fifty one fifty would be i mean just a blast, I think.
0: I I'd, I'd be curious on how that performs. I can't imagine fifty percent more power in that
2: plane. Yeah, that would be sweet. The forty well, degrees and, and, I don't understand why other Cessna's other aircraft don't do that large flap. Like why not? It just makes it so much easier to go into short fields.
1: Well, a lot of airplanes do have forty degrees of flaps. They just don't have well, that yeah, size of the flaps. Color. Yeah.
2: I mean the yeah. the large flap that goes down forty degrees. Like, no matter how, I mean, obviously, extreme. You know, if you're extremely high, that's not going to work. But like, if you if you're not paying attention and you're high on final, like, you can get that one fifty in no matter what. I mean, unless right. you're like, ridiculously high. But yeah, I want to come back to that really quick. Like, you know, casually flying and like not really paying attention. I was like, oh, I'm kind of high drop the flaps in and it's like easy solves the problem yeah
0: it's the ultimate i i misjudged and i'm gonna fix it real quick myself look good button
1: yeah 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 cessna cessna hooked me up fat with this and i just put in my full flaps and we're good right yeah it's 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 an incredible and and i don't know I, i typically I don't know. I, I guess I, I suppose when I'm flying the 150, that I fly more often now. I I don't know that I do 40 all that often. I don't okay. usually land with 40. I'll land with 30. Right. I mean, yeah. if
2: I'm sometimes I land with 40. It's just just depends on you know what I want to do. If, right. if I have a crosswind, I'll even I'll land with less. I'll land with 10 or 20 if there's a strong crosswind, but.
0: Yeah. The winds are calm.
2: I'll use 40. I usually do 40. Yeah.
1: And there's nothing wrong, but you know, you guys are exceptional pilots too. For some people, if they get themselves in a situation where they have a sink rate, the 150 doesn't have enough power necessarily to get them out and arrest that sink rate if they don't detect it early. You can climb with 40 degrees of flaps in, though.
0: We'd throw 40 in to get off of a soggy airport sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've taken off with 40 before. The, yeah, but the drag curve is totally different if you're if you're already going from a standstill, you know, a parasite drag quadruples at the double of your airspeed. So the lower you the slower you are and you're only going to 50, 40 or 50 yeah. to take off in those. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. it's not like you're doing 150 and then trying to you know do something with it. There're just so much more drag. Blah, blah, blah. So I used to teach, and, and I still would teach, but in the 150, it's very difficult. Power first when you're, when you're doing a go-around. Power first, clean up the flaps. If you have a more complex airplane, there's more steps to it. But, you know, power first, get that going, because you'll have a little stutter out of the carburetor, blah, blah, blah. Just get it, you know, power, pitch, and then clean it up. I don't remember what we did. It was a long time ago, and I pretty much quit doing it this way now. But... We tried to just climb with flaps, or the flaps forty. I don't remember yeah. what it was. Because you're talking an airplane that clean climbs at six hundred feet a minute.
2: Not very much.
1: No, I don't know how much you're getting with flaps full in a well, go around. I didn't.
2: I would not do that. I would. I I would let them. I mean, I'd pull them up slowly. You know,
0: in the so spring, you probably cash soggy. in. Yeah. Go
2: ahead, go ahead. Yeah. If it was soggy in the spring, I remember taking yeah. off with. Full flaps. And once you and, got yeah. once you built up your airspeed a little bit, you start easing, you know, start bleeding them off. But
0: well I use 40 to crank it up into ground effect. As soon as I was in ground effect, I yeah, got it up. I wouldn't recommend doing it, but like you get to the point where I would just in ground effect, I'd be adjusting the flap up to like something normal to climb out. Like I'd throw it to twenty in ground effect, and I knew how the flight characteristics changed in ground effect so well. Um, back when I had one that I would transition that which I would never recommend somebody else do uh, but I was comfortable with it at the time I wouldn't even be comfortable with it now and I'd transition in ground effect just to get it off of that soggy uh, field because you'd almost have to with how yeah was, well uh, soggy if, it felt to get sometimes
2: but with, with the threshold tr- hinds about 2600 feet with when it's soggy the middle of the runway is a swamp so you only got about half that when it's really soggy like you have even less than that Cause there's a, there's like a, there's a higher part of the runway that stays dry, but it's like, it's pretty narrow. It's pretty short. You got to do
0: all your run-ups and checks I, and stuff before you even get on the runway. And then you guys got to power it the whole time or else you're going to get stuck.
1: Yeah. yeah that's textbook it's, it's, soft field. A lot of people, they can only do simulated stuff. Their instructor's afraid to go to a true soft field and you guys are like living it to the extreme, which is super valuable you know, uh, experience to have that a lot of people will never experience. You know, and and that's something that I know Scott brings it up a lot. It'd be very interesting to compile maybe like these techniques and then see which one ultimately really right. does work best.
2: I know because like the the uh, the manual for the one hundred and fifty, the whatever the pilot handbook says, no flaps, right? Which soggy. nobody. Nobody does it that way. For
1: soft field, yeah, it says no flaps. And I would, I would agree with starting that way. Keep it clean as long as you Try can. Yeah, it, like yeah. I said, it's minimal drag. It's used a lot more
2: back. I mean, just back pressure. Just get the nose wheel off. You know, but
1: I always put ten degrees of flaps in. Yeah, and ten degrees is free. Yeah. Every airplane that I mean yeah. I've ever it's it's free. Yeah, it helps a lot, but it's not any more drag really. Yeah. You know, so um yeah, I mean, but I yeah, I would start clean or ten, probably ten, just because it's time. I don't want it to go from zero to ten. I want it to already be right, yeah. ten because I think it's negligible, and then bring it into twenty or thirty after I've that's gotten you, some airspeed and let change. it pop out. Yeah. Super common in seaplanes, super I mean, common. To pop flaps in to get you to yeah. break that suction or whatever. I've so never same had, concept. I've never had to bring more flaps in
2: as I'm going.
1: Just, but did you take off with forty from the get go? Yeah. Well, yeah. Then you need to bring more flaps in under the scenario I'm painting. Well,
2: I know. I'm just if saying you I needed never, forty from a start. I never then started, to... I've never started with zero or ten and then brought more in. Yeah. And I mean, from a, I, I would, I, I would, if it came down to it, but I've never had to, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, and that's techniques. And maybe one works better than the other. And it would be interesting to find that out using isolating as many variables as possible and just do, you know, some, not the super nuanced little differences, but some of the big picture. Do we roll, start rolling with 40, do we start rolling with zero? Do we go to, you know, zero to 20 on the roll? Do we go from 10 to 40 on the roll or take off clean, see which one's different? You know, like the manual says, Mm because I guess that kind of going back to the point of, do you trust your manual or do you trust to see your pants better? And that's how much, how how much gas have you burned in that airplane to know whether you can take off out of somewhere or not.
0: I have the Allison Chambers tractor ready for uh, pulling me out during this experiment. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah yeah was, yeah. yeah I, had to, knows. I had to pull it out a few times with the old tractor you're playing yeah
0: knock on wood i never got the
2: 150 stuck. stuck no no i was three or four times most of the time i could just use the four wheeler. Really. there's only one time when i i didn't i didn't get the the big tractor out i i used the little ford tractor but i I didn't have to get the Alice chalmers out but, okay uh,
0: oh that's how you pronounce it alice chalmers yeah a bunch of a bunch of tractors the, out there the loader
2: the the big yellow loaders and alice chalmers the little the little tractors of ford The little blue okay tractors a ford yeah but I did, um, have, I did have to use the ford once because the four-wheeler wouldn't do it
0: i think i know the reason why i never got stuck and you did is because if it was questionable, I would go out and walk the entire runway before I took off. Yeah, see, so yeah have I would just exactly that with the plane. Where Scott would just send it, where I would I would yeah. walk the whole field in the oh. spring and see exactly where That's the soggy spots are.
2: Yeah,
0: and then I'd come back to the hangar, and then knowing the field fresh, what was exactly going on that day, where Scott just was, was like, a, "I'll figure it out while I'm running."
2: There was a guy that came in here. I don't know. It was last year or two years ago with a 182, and he got stuck, and he was like so embarrassed. And I came up, and I'm like, ah, I was on the foil. I was like, I'll, I'll pull you out. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm like, I've been stuck on this one like four times. Don't worry about it. And then he's like, you know, you can tell he was like so relieved that like I've been stuck out there too. He's like, Oh, okay. He's like, <laughs> He's like, Oh, it happens, I guess. I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, No big deal. I'm like. I've been stuck out here plenty of times. <laughs> if your four wheelers around, I would just
0: run the four wheeler down to check the uh, whether it's yeah. soggy. The soggy well, spots probably would be
2: the quicker way to do that. Yeah, I probably just misjudged it. You know, I don't really. Or you just
1: taxi the airplane. Yeah. Well, that could be. But then you get stuck. Then you, I mean, if you're going taxi speed, you're more likely to get stuck. Yeah. And I remember yeah, one I mean, time there's a fly. I was coming back with a load of passengers from Peely and the Islander and the flying was going on. So we weren't, you know, back taxiing on the runway. You turn off the runway and everybody was like making like a couple turns. And I'm like, I'm not going to go all that way. I'm going to get back to a hard surface as quick as I can and save time with this airplane. It's baking in here. There's no airflows, no air conditioning. And so I decided instead of making a turn like everybody else did and staying on a grass runway, I'm like, I just like went straight and because of the way that like the terrain kind of was there's a little bit of a hump and i didn't realize there's a big standing puddle of water there and i'm like <laughs> oh my god duh of course it's there it's always there after it rains a lot and i did like this stutter step where i went from oh my god i'm going to get stuck to well no i pretty much stayed oh my god i'm going to get stuck But what I did is like, oh, man, I got to get out of the brakes. I need to make a turn. Oh, it's too late. So I I hit brakes, and I immediately went brakes to full power, and miraculously, it did not get stuck. (laughs) It was, I mean, just plowed through. You know how big those at the intersection? You just have those ponds off each side of the runway for like a week after it rained, and that's what was there. And I just completely destroyed. I mean, the whole thing was covered with mud from nose to tail. I mean, completely. And and I'm like, what am I going to do? Because if I get stuck right here, we all have to get out of the airplane, get soaking wet to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I just gave it full power. And since it never stopped, it went through. It got through. Oh, I remember. I usually get stuck like when I was slowing down to turn. Yeah. At the end of the moment or something. You got to have the momentum to carry you through because then your power works. Like if you get an airplane, it doesn't almost doesn't matter how much horsepower you have. If there's a chalk in the way, if the wheels that start rolling, you're not going to go over the chalk. You have to, you have to, if you're rolling, you can roll right over a chalk. Like if you even have an inch or a couple inches to get rolling that inertia, you can jump the chalks, but man, it would take everything you had to jump the chalks. uh, Typically, if it's the appropriate size chalk, obviously for the airplane, it's, it's it's a weird thing, but yeah, I mean, soft field technique is so uh, under undervalued. Every seaplane takeoff is basically a parallel for a soft field takeoff.
0: Yeah.
1: in a you know a land. So. And 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 I think you know that would make people. I well, I think in the seaplane rating, you know, is makes everybody a better pilot, anyways. But if you have a lot of experience in your airplane, or you you know you're at an airport where that's you know, common kind of technique, like you guys, you know, grew up with, anyways. You Guys are so a, far, most people won't ever experience that. I got a
2: 175 buried out here like two years ago. It took two four wheelers, four wheel drive, four wheelers to get it out. It was too wet to get the tractor out, so I got Michael with his four wheel drive four wheeler and my four wheel drive four wheeler. We pulled it out, but I was just and taking it from a lot morning. of people
0: probably don't do. Yeah, like, I was no, taking it. From, like,
2: the airport, well, you know the airport is, to my hangar, which is kind of like off of the airport, I just got it buried.
1: Oh, what you don't people don't think about? It. Like you're talking about getting so many airplanes stuck. Well, it's not like a, even a car or a truck where you have a huge, you know, the tires are eight inches wide, and you got four of them. Right. Yeah, we little, have. Yeah, three
2: little oh, tires. Yeah, I mean, you have much, might have wheel base is not. There's not much wheel on the ground.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, there's 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 not, and that's why you see like these bush planes with these big tires. A lot of that is. Yeah, you can think about it as like, okay, it's a shock absorption. Yes, it is, but it also disperses the weight, like yeah. like a you know a, what do you call like a a, a a um like a lynx or a bobcat walking in the snow. It's like snowshoes. You know, you get these big, you know, tundra tires that disperses the load so it rides on top of soft ground. If you're in like a 150, you know, or something that is, you know, mostly for, you know, hard surface takeoffs and landings, you have a very small contact patch. You know, you might have, what would you say, like six square inches maybe on each yeah, tire? Probably, yeah. I mean, seriously, like probably, probably six yeah, square probably. inches. Maybe even less than that. Probably three by three by three. Three, three well, by three by five, three
2: by six. Well, three by three, by three would three be nine square inches. So you probably got actually you probably got three by fours. You probably got twelve square inches, but that's not very much. I mean, right? Yeah. Depending on how much you sink in, if you're not if you're on hard surface, you probably only have three by three or
1: less. I guess but, that's that is how I would characterize those. What it, what do you have on a hard surface? Because yeah, <laughs> it, yeah of course, once you sink. You're going to have more contact, you know, because you're going to be
2: up your axles. Off topic here, but question If you had my 150 and you wanted to make it better for short field performance, what would you do as far as like modifications?
1: um, I'm always a proponent of weight reduction. Yeah, but um, what? Possibly do to reduce weight Well you I mean honestly you could probably do a lot um, You know You gotta think You have that uh, and, and and it's money I mean no, I'm not saying like this, I mean cost is not a thing I mean this is a relatively you know Cost effective because most of it is just taken out But like your intercom Well that intercom has batteries Now granted will, if you have another wait, intercom You'd have small I wires hope. I'm just saying though Ounces lead to pounds, Scott. Okay, but I'm talking about like something that would actually
2: do something significant.
1: Okay, well now you're just now. Now I feel like you're being very condescending. I, I feel know, threatened am taking out a Micro, more microaggression, Scott. What? Microaggression, right there. I you, you you telling me that I should take a nine volt battery out of my intercom? No, your whole intercom, of- your whole intercom. I would get rid of. I would get rid of your attitude indicator, your turn coordinator, uh, your directional gyro, um, no, vertical no, speed indicator. No, I would no. junk all of those. No, I'm Why? talking about that's actually going to make a difference. The, then I mean the number one best thing you can do. So I would take. So you only have one wheel pant right on your nose gear. I don't have I took that off too. So you have no wheel pants. Okay, perfect. So that's way now that will inhibit some climb, but you're talking about just getting off the ground. That is what you're you care about right now, right? Is yeah. getting off the ground in the least amount of runway possible, getting ground mm-hmm. effect to climb out, right? So mm-hmm. yep. I I mean obviously like we just said probably a nose gear, a nose or a nose tire, if there's I would get the biggest nose tire that fits the 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 stock nose fork you oh, may be
2: the cheapest one i could find i don't know it wasn't any bigger but
1: well i'm sure that i'm sure that it wasn't because you probably need a different rim probably i don't i don't know but like like plug and play what will go on your airplane i would always pitch down that prop that would be number one in vortex generators well, those thing. are things like, so that i it's actually gonna make a difference like a prop or like wingtips or like you know i don't know that i just said prop yeah yeah, prop vortex generators. I would do. Um, I don't know that you said you didn't. You did see maybe a little bit of difference with the wingtips.
2: Yeah, I mean probably, but
1: it was so long between the time that I flew
2: before the wingtips, like
1: and the plane conditions after, are going to be. A year you and need and a empirical half. tests to you know kind of figure this stuff out. And like ounces lead to pounds, a little bit here. You know, you pitch that well, prop down another inch, yeah, you yeah. lose a hundred pounds which you probably can't lose 100, but if you lose 100, leave some fuel behind. You do all these things. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, you're I, – I don't know. You don't believe me. I can tell that you don't believe me,
2: but oh, – No, the prop I believe you. I just don't well, think I know, that, because like, – I don't think taking the 9-volt battery out of my intercom is going to
1: make – No, it no, hard. I'm not – no, no, no. That was a specific thing, like – Go get a decent intercom, which you need anyways, that's hardwired in. will save you weight and do that corresponding with all the other junk that you don't need in your plane. Like, do you have a VOR? Why do you have a VOR in your plane? Why? That's how people navigated back in the day, Lee. Back in the day, junk it. Go down to a cheap, you know, uh, ICOM A200, like comes in light sports. A VOR, do uh, uh, sell it though with Yeah, do bucks. that. Do the same thing with your attitude indicator. Do the same with your turn coordinator. You don't need those are gyro instruments. They are very heavy, and I believe yours are old. So get rid of them. For sure they're old. Yeah, yeah. You the can replace. Spend nothing. Nothing. A blank in the panel. Yeah, I would go basic VFR for you and maximize the performance you have. And, I mean, if you're going to go start flying back and forth to Kelly's Island at night. I wouldn't get rid of them. I would go a different route, which would just cost you more money. It would still be less weight, but it would cost you more money. Could, like things I could do to the airplane, like yeah the propeller. Reducing weight is one of them, dude.
2: I know, but I just I don't feel like that's significant yeah. enough. The vortex generators I'd be curious about. For people who don't
0: know, the vortex generators, if you ever look at like a like a plane on a ramp, and it's got these little tiny fins that go back and forth kind of on the top of the leading edge of the wing, those are vortex generators uh, for anyone who doesn't know, like ask yeah, Jeeves
1: and
0: so it. Yeah.
1: Ask Jeeves it. And, and so there's some phenomena that happen with, with, um, with the airflow, you know, under and over the wing. And in this case, we're talking about over the wing, that is where the lift is produced basically. And so once you get that wing pitched way up called an angle, a high angle of attack, um, and you, you're going to have to ask Jeeves all of this, but, Eventually, the airflow separates, and that's when you hear on the news, like, oh, an airplane stalled, and then it crashed. Well, that doesn't mean the engine quit. That doesn't mean it quit necessarily yeah. flying in midair and came plummeting down like a like a rocket. Yes. No, the wing stalled, stalled yeah. which means the that's wing quit developing lift. The way wings are developed is when the wings do stall, if the pilot were to just let go of the controls, the nose will, if it's loaded in accordance to the manufacturer, which it should be, obviously, always fly within the limitations of the manufacturer. The nose will drop, it'll restore smooth airflow over the wing, and then it will start flying again. Catastrophe averted. The pilot needs to not be an idiot, and they need to load it correctly, which means they also still need to not be an idiot. With the but vortex the way, generators do. The way you load it is if you no. get out of the plane no. and push
2: the tail down, it goes no. back up. No. Continue on. <laughs>
1: The vortex, what the vortex generators do is when you get to that angle of attack, the previous angle of attack, like that came from the manufacturer, the vortex generators will allow the airflow to continue flowing smoothly over the top of the wing. So it'll allow you to continue flying when ordinarily it wouldn't have, or previously before the installation of the vortex generators, it wouldn't have flown. It, the wing would have stalled and quit creating lift, and the nose would drop, and you'd You know, restore the smooth airflow over the wing, and then you start flying over again, and then you would basically just continue this pattern if nobody intervened. I don't know if you know the answer. What's up to? I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but what do vortex generators typically reduce the stall speed by? Well, it it depends on where you're starting, but you know, if you want to talk like in terms of percentage, you know, you're probably talking very small, single digits. Um, Well,
2: if, if I put them on the 150, would it reduce
1: my stall speed by? five knots five five yeah five knots five miles an hour somewhere around there but but here's the thing you're rolling down the runway so you're talking about takeoff performance Mm -hmm. if you talk if you reduce your takeoff now remember that's a gross weight that's a ton because if you turn that into feet that you cover on the Uh ground you're going 60 miles an hour if you reduce and of course, it's a non-linear acceleration. So your first, you know, your zero to 30 might be fast, but then 30 to 50 might be, you know, way more. You know, because, you know, you're starting to fight drag and everything. Everything, every blade of grass that your tire touches on the way is going to be more and more drag, you know, to get you, you know, to kind of get you through. So if you can reduce that five miles an hour, that is a not, not a small difference so if you can pitch your prop down you know another couple inches you do the vortex generators you know none, those aren't free you know none none of that we just talked about be free what's that what's
2: your vortex generators
1: um you know the last the only kit that i priced was for a j3 or like a super cub same difference i don't think they were that expensive but like i mean they were several hundred dollars oh well, that's not bad well yeah maybe not i mean I mean, one of the. I mean, the the some of the stuff like the next time is an annual. Make sure that it's rigged correctly. Would you recommend? Make sure would you recommend vortex? Generators? I would hands down do. Like if I go buy a J three, it's getting vortex generators. Like there's zero question in like, my mind. I could. I mean, I could get them installed for free. I would just have to buy them. I would hand that. I mean, that is not. That's a so far from a no brainer to me. Yeah. I mean, it's. I would it's, want
0: to get I some, mean, some serious performance numbers before you put them on. And so then you can ask
1: 100%
0: see exactly what it did. I'd just be curious. Yeah, like our numbers,
1: it worth it, but we could, I mean, we should, Oh man, we, we should make a weekend out of it. Yeah. I mean, identical fuel, temperature, everything be as empirical with everything that we could. And it would be very interesting, but like you can go to the website and it'll probably tell you exactly what and they can probably give you those numbers. I mean, we could get real world numbers like, Oh yeah. They say seven miles an hour, but yeah, I was really only three, but what's the width of the airspeed indicator needle. Was it bouncing around? All that kind of stuff. It's going to be feel It's it, you're not, it's, I don't think it's going to be anything you're going to see on an airspeed indicator. Yeah. We're back to part 23. So we're talking seat of our pants. You're coming in. Does it feel different? And I, from my understanding people that have done this on a 150 actually I talked to a guy who did install them on a 150 and he said he couldn't see it but he could feel it yeah i don't know if that's worth it but i think if you know if you want to drastically if you were like wow i can tell the difference you're going to have to do that prop you're going to have to you know i would look at mag timing again i would go to the tolerances that is allowed there like i know on the J3 like you could go i want to say you could go only go like one degree advanced timing and be within tolerance. I would do that. I would do everything. Time, advance the timing that makes more power. (laughs) I mean, you know, back to where it's supposed to be. No, no, I know. I'm just saying, yeah, you're at 28 degrees, but I'm just saying it's 20 degrees dog when
2: I was at 24. And then they realized like, Oh, it doesn't have to be at at 28.
1: 28. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I'm just saying, there's a tolerance though. Even the 28 degree timing, there's a tolerance there. It's you know plus two, minus two, or whatever it is. I would take it to plus two. Yeah. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Well, uh, I
2: suppose. Yeah.
1: What's it gonna hurt? Why? Well, well, I mean, yeah, you're yeah, you're doing maybe a little bit more, you know, damage, for lack of a better term, to your engine. But I would run it to the advanced timing. You could. Um all the all the engine stuff. Everybody knows all that stuff, you know. But I would yeah. do that prop. And you know what? Props over time, that's why, like, part 135, you have to get prop overhauls. Because yeah. over time, you eventually, whatever it's pitched to, um, that eventually gets out of spec. Yeah. So if you get that pitched back to spec, you might be, you know, that might be some performance right there. But I would oh, yeah. pitch it down so you get more. Back, I mean. What? Who even knows? I said I'm sure my
2: prop is not pitched to where it's supposed to be. Who even knows what it is? You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, who, yeah, who knows what it is? We know what it's stamped as, but we don't know what it actually yeah. is. And we we know that that we know that that changes. That's that's like a okay. fact. So I would pitch it down, get as much RPM. I would I would want as close to static max RPM as possible that is something that nobody that is such an advantage that a constant speed prop has when you when you hold the brakes you run the power up you get maximum rated rpm which means you get your maximum rated horsepower static you know you in a fixed pitch prop we're talking about 150 you know you're getting you know 100 200 rpm less than it's rated for yeah. so that means you're not making the horsepower as you get more airflow going through, yeah, it'll spool up and you'll get that horsepower. So you you have most of for climb out. But like, you know, a seaplane, you want it, you want it running maximum rated RPM for from the get-go. So that would that would be huge. I mean, you can't understate that. And that with the vortex generators, those are two things that would be proven that would be noticeable improvement. But if you want to turn a blind eye to weight reduction. What is it? Okay, so maybe your airplane and I would have to run the numbers. I know in an Archer, because I ran these numbers. I, now, of course, I use the book. So we're coming kind of full circle on this part of the conversation. I ran the numbers, and for every, I want to say, every 100 pounds of useful load, it is a 5% reduction in takeoff and climb performance. Oh. Every 100 pounds. Now, that's not – for you to but reduce, I, that's obviously fuel. You're going to have to leave some fuel behind and you're going to have to be like bare bones on your instruments and stuff. What? I said I usually do leave fuel behind. I don't typically
2: have full fuel. Yeah. Okay, okay cool. I bought a gas caddy. You can actually pump the gas back out depending on which way you crank the handle. You can pump gas mm-hmm. in or you can pump gas out. It's very convenient. So if you go and fill That's up super and cool. all of a sudden it's a hot day and you want to take a passenger, you can pump some gas out of the plane.
0: That would be convenient. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. Very convenient. Yeah.
0: Before we wrap this up, uh, we're completely off topic, but um, Scott, towing out, like you said, four-wheelers and tractors, towing out of the mud, how do you actually do that? Where are you hooking up to? What are you using um, to
2: actually the attach? Nose. You hook up to the nose nose gear.
1: Like the nose strut, right?
2: Yeah. That's that's what's meant to be. That's what's meant to be towed from. Okay,
1: There's pull no strut. Like the, the actual problem. chrome. Like be specific, right? The actual chrome
2: well, piece. Yeah, I mean, unless you have a tow bar that hooks up to the to the actual tow points on the on the sides, but if you know, you're using a strap or something. Yeah, and most generally, I just wrap this. Strap around the the chrome part of the nose strut and just pull it from there, or right above it anyway. Yeah. What kind of strap? Somewhere on the nose. Just like a ratchet strap, but obviously the fabric part.
1: Okay. you you don't. It's like that was that nylon. That was like a nylon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a just a
2: nylon strap or whatever it's made out of. I
1: don't know. Like a toe, like a toe strap. I I mean, right toe strap. Right. Yep. So like at like bigger so like in these airplanes the, the, a lot of these um um FBOs fixed base operators where we go um, even where we're based they they kind they lift up the nose gear and one way to keep it kind of in this cradle when they're gonna tow you uh, they put you in this cradle and they have a tow strap that goes around just and wraps around the uh, back of the chrome part. Yeah, so it kind of keeps it from rolling backwards when they accelerate you forwards. Mm-hmm. It's going to have a tendency to roll out, so they kind of keep it anchored from behind. And they always do it around, you know, right around or right from behind that that uh, chrome. I wouldn't have pictured that as kind of a structural thing, but just kinda, I guess the way it balances forces out, it's very safe to do. Apparently, I mean, this airplane weighs fourteen thousand pounds empty, pulling fuel in it. So
2: pulling forward on the nose gear is how I mean. That's where they're meant to be pulled from so
0: yeah we figure yeah, the tow bars right. are, the tow bars hook up to there at a lower point yeah. so if you're going higher up around that stainless steel strut it's you're putting less pressure. less leverage yeah. than the proper spot to even tow it so you should be fine in theory
1: yeah you're putting less leverage on the air frame but you may be putting more stress lower down on the tire because that's actually what's stuck so it's kind of like what do you really want to you know what's going to let go first yeah. But I would rather protect the airframe and go higher. So you're, like you said, putting less leverage on the frame. That's going to be this part that's going to be expensive. Yeah. You know, if if something were to let go, nothing's going to let go. It's the tire. I mean, it's designed, the tire, the fork, whatever. That's designed to take abuse. That's your landing gear.
2: Yeah. That was
0: pretty rugged. Unless
2: it's a Mitsubishi MU2. You're, yeah. If you're not t- stuck too bad, you can have. Uh, couple guys push on the struts, the wing struts if you're in a Cessna. I've
1: done that yeah. before too. Yeah. We could do whole do we could do a whole episode on just hillbilly stuff like this. Yeah, yeah we could. All the stuff
2: we've seen. I remember one time guy was on the runway and he was just full throttle just but the plane was just sitting there. I came up to him and I was like Try pushing, you know, I kind of just signaled like I'm gonna try pushing on it. He just full throttle it and I pushed on the strut. Like we didn't even commute like there was no words exchanged between the two of us. He just knew what I was gonna do. But all it took was me pushing on the strut to get him out of the little divot that he was in to get moving, and then got down to the other runway, turned around and took off.
1: That that's it. Once it's moving, it's there's no the thrust is normally there. Yeah. But if you're stationary, it just doesn't, it, it just has to get started. Yeah. He was and, stationary. And very common.
2: He was sitting there full throttle in it. And I'm just like, I just kind of like pointed at him and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, just signaled like I'm going to push. And he, he knew what I meant, you know, and I just pushed on the strut and got him out and just kept going.
0: Yeah. I remember yeah. that's a, it's a very unique sound you can hear when, like, obviously a lot of airplanes do just full throttle it when you start your takeoff roll. Um, so you hear that and that's normal. And then the engine sound starts to change because the airplane starts moving to wherever you're standing. Mm-hmm. Like you can distinctly know, like if you hear an airplane is wound out and a pitch just stays oh, exactly yeah. so the same changed. to your ears, yeah. you know, somebody's stuck out there.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. 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 All right. I think that wraps this one up. Uh, email is our preferred method of communication. Uh, My email is F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R is the German way, not the sandwich way. Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at leegriffing.com. G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Mr. Boris is F-A-R-A-I-M at scottborris.com. B-O-R-E-S. Um, Send us an email if you have any questions, comments, concerns, episode ideas, just want to chat. Send us an email. Love to respond, talk. Uh, until next time, uh, take care. Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks, guys. See ya.